Christ and my words abide in you. Those two things began our study of joy. There's another aspect found in the passage, John 15, starting at verse 7. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. For this joy of Christ to be in us, it says, Abide in me, and my words, or Christ's words abiding in us. Those are the first two aspects that we need to draw our attention to. But it goes to a third aspect. It says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in that love. Verse 12. This is my commandment that ye love one another. But that's not the end of the commandment. It says that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, and a man laid down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. Jesus said just a few passages, a few chapters before this in John chapter 13. He says, a new commandment I give to you that ye love one another. Well, how is that new? In Deuteronomy, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, this is how it's new. He says that ye love one another as I have loved you. He says in John 13 as well. That ye also love one another. By this shall all men know you are my disciples if ye have love one to another. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be flipping through some scriptures and trying to take a hold of what scriptures have to say on this. <clears throat> Jesus says this is a new command because the old command was love your neighbor as yourself. And that's a pretty high task. Because we tend to love ourselves. But this goes way beyond that command. It says not only do you love your neighbor as you love yourself, Jesus is saying, you love your neighbor as I have loved you. That's how you love your neighbor. That's a love greater even than one's own life and one's own self. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14. This is Paul's um, cry. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians church. And this is the Holy Spirit trying to communicate something so important for us to understand. Ephesians 3.14 For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He may grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that's what we studied this morning, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. That we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Talked about joy in 
John 15. And here he's going to lay it all out. Do you want to understand the fullness of God in your life? Then do this for me. Explain to me the love that Christ loved you with. Can you do that? Can you explain that for me? Verse 18 may be able to comprehend with all saints. He wants you to comprehend this. Can you understand the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height? Can you know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God? Friends, if I would make a list of why Jesus should walk away from me in the past and even today, that list would go all the way out the door as I start reading the paper up here. And then if I would make a list of why does He love me today, I wonder how small that list would be. Would it be about He chose me. He chose to love me. Can anybody explain the love of Christ for them? Can you make heads or tails of it? The length, the breadth, the depth, of the love of Christ to your life? This is what he's saying. Which, verse 19, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. If you can understand the love of Christ to the depth you need to, you understand this one thing. It's beyond me to even understand it. It's beyond comprehension. How much God loves me. Love was simply a choice. He chose to love you. Can you explain a love that doesn't depend on the other's high points? A love so pure that it can depend simply on the one loving? Can you explain that? A love that is so pure, it does not depend on the other's high points. A love so pure that it can simply depend on the one loving. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you know anything about the love of Christ, you know you know that it is beyond comprehension. Now, I have something honest to tell you. As I studied this, I realized if if I would describe my love, it's pretty easy to comprehend it. I love those who love me. And most people that I know I can comprehend their love. They love people who love them. Look at Matthew 5.46. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. I hear people speak of their ex-wife. hear people speak of their ex-husband. And here is the reason I divorced them. And here comes a list of excuses, betrayal, anger. I, you make, I mean, there's always a list. But none of the reasons ever were, this is why I left my ex-wife. I only love those who love me. I've never heard that said. Never. And I don't tend to hear it among church folks either. 
when we get into squabble, I'm leaving. You know why I left that church? Nobody ever says, because I only love those who love me. I had to leave. I wonder how many times that's why we had to leave. Obviously, there's other reasons at times. I wonder really. How close I am to a publican. A wicked publican who Jesus says, what reward have you? Don't the publicans even do that? The people who are absolutely in it for themselves, absolutely corrupt, no good intentions. If someone didn't love them, well, it wasn't going to work. Bitterness, unforgiveness, contempt. And why did they get all those things? Because they only love people who love them. Paul's prayer for these saints, and here's the secret to being a saint, I truly believe, that you can come to an understanding of the beautiful length, breadth, height, and depth of the love of Christ for your life. And that you understand it enough to realize it's beyond comprehension, but with that understanding you realize there's a new command. Love one another as Christ has loved me. Can you explain a love that doesn't depend on the other's high points? A love so pure that it can depend on the one loving. That sounds way too idealistic, doesn't it? It just, it's just way too idealistic. You ever work with somebody who's a pain in the neck to work with? But look at Matthew. Jesus is talking exactly to that. Verse 43. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. It amazes me how this command through the New Testament, uh, it's just about repeated, seems like every third page. You love others as I have loved you. That your joy may be full. This isn't something to say, oh, I mean, Jeffrey, you understand the people I've got to put up with? It's not saying that. It's saying that your joy may be full. There's a lot of people who don't get along with their family. There's a lot of people who don't get along with their sisters, their brothers. There's a lot of family that's completely disconnected. Because Matthew here explains to us. We tend to curse others who curse us. And if you do something spiteful to me, Well, that's okay. I just don't have to love you. In fact, I don't even have to associate with you, so I don't have to love you. And yet, the command of Christ is, love one another as I have loved you. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star 
and reaches to the lowest hell. Understand what the words are saying? I'm not sure if you're on a mountaintop or I'm not sure if you're walking through a hell. But I know the love of God is deeper and higher and wider than any hell that you've been through. He can reach, by His grace and by His mercy and love, He can reach way down and redeem anyone. And I love that portion of the third verse. The third verse was a Jewish poem written in the 11th century in Worms, Germany. And it it was interesting that the threat of death was on people who didn't write something worthwhile for of a poem. And I don't even understand what kind of a king would do that to his subjects. But somehow a, a Jewish man came up with this poem under that threat. And it passed and everybody was happy that they didn't have to die. But that poem actually was largely forgotten until... One day they found it scratched on a wall out west in an insane ins- in it, an insane asylum, if I can get it said. Scratched on the wall of the insane asylum, could we with ink the ocean fill? Were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill? Every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure. Now he goes into the measurements. How measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. That's the kind of love he loved us with. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. As you look at that love, as I look at that love and I say, I just tend to be the publican. You treat me right, we'll all be happy. You don't treat me right, such is life. I, I mean, what a heavy responsibility. Doesn't that just weigh you down that Jesus, when you stand before him, the judgment on your life is, did you love others as I loved you? Yeah, did you see what I had to put up with? And he can show you the nail scars and say, tell me about it. As I have loved you. Doesn't that seem exhausting even to think about it? Because there's people that will test us. No, he says, if you love as I have loved you, that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. Wait a second. If a command is overwhelming, I really believe if a command that we hear from Scripture is overwhelming to us, think about this, Matthew 11, verse 30. Take, Sorry, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I think if we're going to get this right, To love others as Christ loved me. I I think this is important. That number one, we have to learn I am meek and lowly in heart. 
we don't learn that, how are you going to love people? Well, you know what they need to hear? They need to hear a piece of my mind. You know what they're doing? You know what they're saying? You think that doesn't happen? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And then, I love that, you shall find rest for your souls. I think that's the underlying attitude of someone who can truly love others as Christ loved them. They come with a meek and lowly in heart. I would ask this question to you, though. Do do you think all the people Jesus interacted with felt loved? What do you think? Do you think everybody Jesus interacted with felt loved? Even though they were loved? No, they didn't feel loved. If you would go to the Pharisees and say, can you just sense the love of Jesus? They would be so ticked. They can't see the love. Will people always be in awe of the love of Christ in you? Absolutely not. If you're looking for awe, you're looking in the wrong camp. Is it as obvious as the nose on your face when you love someone? Absolutely not. Why do I say that? I take you to the greatest picture of love ever displayed on the world, in the world, ever. In all of the history of time, I look at the cross and look at the one hanging there, bleeding and dying for the people right here, cursing at him, swearing at him, and gambling for his clothes. And in that horrible moment where the greatest picture of love was ever displayed, you hear these words, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Well, surely, I, you know, now they can see Jesus loves. Now that will turn their hearts. Now they will say, oh, Jesus does love us. Not so. You know what the next phrase says? And they parted, sorry, and they cast lots and parted his clothes. And you know what the next phrase says? Surely then they looked up and saw it. No, it says, And then the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he be Christ, the chosen of God. If that wasn't bad enough, it says, Then the soldiers began to mock him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If you be the king of Jews, save thyself. Because their hearts were filled with self, they didn't recognize love displayed. And that happens, yeah. In love, as you interact with others, it won't be as obvious as the nose on their face. They won't see it. But you know, the amazing part is Jesus remained meek and lowly and He loved them. And He forgave them. And did it change them that instant? Because they felt like they were loved? No, but it changed them over time. It changed a bunch of them. A bunch of them came around. Jesus loved them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing.
Turn to 1 John chapter 4. So when I hear of the love of Christ, how He has loved me, He looked past the insults. He looked past the pain. He looked past all the terribleness that we offered Him as mankind. And He said, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that knoweth He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Sobering verses I stated, I tend to love like a publican. You know how serious that is? Serious enough that I have to come and say, God, change me. Not sometime, not eventually, I need changed. Because that's not going to work. The love of God is so pure, friends, it is an insult. In fact, it is a lie to say, I am a follower of Christ, but I lack love. That is a lie. That's how serious that is. That is an essential ingredient. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. I have no church home. I'm not a member. I'm not accountable anywhere. I was talking to a fella um, a few years ago. And I said, what about this? So, no connection anywhere. No accountability anywhere. And his thought was, well, you know, they don't focus on being separated from worldliness. I said, what about loving the brotherhood? He said, well, I'll work on that. But I'm a long ways from there because they're becoming worldly. Hey, that's a legitimate concern. That is a very legitimate concern. But what does God think of you if you can't love the brotherhood? Does He call you a saint because you're better than them? Or does He call you a liar? Yeah, but do you understand... I just can't be part of the churches in my area. Do you know the churches in my area? Well, I know them very well. And actually, friends, when that's our testimony, and I don't want to sound harsh, but that actually says more about us as a person than it does the churches around us, doesn't it? I'm my own boss. I answer to no one. I'm accountable to no one. I need to love no one. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. Now we can be a member in a church, and we can we can hold to that, and we can say, I, I got love down pat, because I'm a member. That's not going to work either. Can we truly, honestly love one another, even in our frailties? If you don't have any, i got plenty to go around. Even in our frailties, can we love one another? Just because as Christ loved us, that's how we act. 
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Um, I, I have this question in the homes. Um, if you husbands would love your wives as Jesus loved you, would that change anything? And wives, I, I understand now more than ever how, how men just don't get it sometimes. And you have the right to be upset. You have the right to write us off. But would anything change if you loved your husband like Jesus loved you? There was a gospel singer who's still alive today, and and I don't know what they sing anymore, but this was years ago. I, I heard of the man. He said this. He said, you know, I got married while I was young. And I was too naive. I married the wrong lady. And we went through a divorce after two years. And now I found the right lady. And now they're singing gospel songs. And, you know, there's quotes all around that. Um, Gospel and quotes. Um, And his thought was, you know, God does understand that when we make naive mistakes. Too naive to, to see the end from the beginning. You know, God understands that. That, you know, we... we no, wait a minute. As I have loved you, you need to love her. No matter how naive you or her are. In fact, he holds that to us to such a point that I was reading in Samuel, the story of Saul, and you don't need to turn there, but I wonder if you know what happened to the Gibeonites. David was going through, David and all of Israel was going through three years of famine. And David says in 1 Samuel 21 that he came to the Lord and he sought, Lord, why is the famine? What's the deal? Three years consecutively, it says. And you know what God told David? He said, David, it's because how Saul treated the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites. You know the Gibeonites. They're the ones who came to Joshua, who was the new longer, new leader and naive. And they said, hey, we got moldy bread, holy shoes, make a truce with us. You'll never see us again. They tricked them. I mean, you can't be held to that kind of an agreement. He was naive. And God said, because I saw the way Saul treated the Gibeonites, and he killed off many, many of them, that's why you have famine. And the only way to extinguish this curse Israel has on itself is to give some of the young men of Saul's lineage to the men of of the Gibeonites. And they were hung, seven of them. Do you think God just overlooks it when, well, we were too naive, you know, we just... Do you think that's an excuse? 
If anybody needed an excuse, Saul, after literally hundreds of years, should have said, you know, these Gibeonites, what a pain in the neck. No, Saul, you made, actually, not just you, you didn't, but your ancestors made a covenant, and God says, that covenant, you can't just go whoosh, whoosh, and there, there goes the covenant. So no matter how naive we may claim to be, or claim as an excuse, this love others as I have loved you, especially in our commitments to our husband and wife, especially to our commitments as a brotherhood, is so extremely important. Turn to Romans chapter 8. I've got one more passage I want to look at. Romans chapter 8 and verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, I, I believe this passage is a lot of times misunderstood. And friends, if I'm misunderstanding it, I want you to explain it to me. A lot of times I've heard it explained that, you know, God loves us and nothing can separate us from God's love. Persecution, famines. Well, I hope not because that's when we need God's love. So what is this saying? I don't believe it's just speaking of a love that Christ has towards us. It is speaking of the love of Christ we receive. And because we receive it, it flows through us to others. Can anyone separate you from the love of God flowing through your life? Does anything separate us from that connection? Is there a line somewhere that someone can cross and we say, okay, now the love of Christ can be separated from my testimony because of what you are putting me through. Alright? Because you're putting me through this, the love of Christ can be separated from my testimony. Can anything separate you from the love of Christ flowing through you? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or pearl, or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. If we think we can create a line that we say, you know, if someone crosses that line, we no longer need to extend the love of Christ. We forget this verse. For thy sakes we are killed all the day long. Living in love requires a non-resistant testimony. Do we understand that? Living in love requires a non-resistant testimony. Well, that sounds like defeat is coming. Am I just a doormat then? Look at verse 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, if that love Christ has towards us is never separated, it's not just something that is all absorbed in our lives and doesn't flow through us. The love of Christ is poured out upon us that we can love others as He has loved us. But the question was, is can who or can anything, is anything able to separate us 
from the love of Christ. I believe for a Christian there is nothing that can ever separate us from the love of God as the most integral part of our lives in relating to others. If I look at that list, you know, there's no one here who's not going to have to face something on that list. Tribulation, distress, this is what we're going to face. Persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. And you know, as I look at people who have faced that list, there are people that have faced it with joy in their hearts. And their joy was full. You say, but they got ripped off in life. But they didn't let anything separate them from exhibiting the love of Christ. And as that love of Christ came flowing in their hearts, like Romans 5.5, 5, that love in their hearts was shed abroad to others. Nothing separated them from the love of Christ. I don't believe this is a mystery of how can we be people of joy. I don't think he said, you know, go talk to a psychologist and he'll give you eight good reasons of doing this and that and somehow you're going to get joy. I don't, not against help that's, that people sit down and maybe you lay down and they sit on the couch, however they want to do it. I'm not against people trying to encourage you and help you. But you're not going to get joy from other people's advice if we skip these facts of Jesus saying, Abide in me, and my words abide in you. And that you love one another, not just how you feel like it, but just like I have loved you, that's how you love one another. And I believe, fully believe, John 15 is displayed in our lives, that His joy would be in us and remain in us, and that our joy could be full. Why? And probably, mostly, many times, it's because we're not serving ourselves. We're not, we're not going back to our old carnal nature of, hey, you love me, I love you. Well, it's all going to be good, just, just you need to love me. We're beyond that and we're living for our Lord Jesus Christ, like Matthew 5 says, that you may be perfect and harmless, the sons of God. Um, That's where joy comes from as we align our lives with that. If you're able to, would you kneel for prayer? Father in heaven, we're thankful for your word and we're so grateful for the love that was displayed on our behalf. It was so wide, so deep, so high, we can't even comprehend Lord, help us to understand that much of the love of Christ for us. And Lord, as we interact with others, and as we interact in our own homes, I pray, Lord, that that love could be shown. At times it's misunderstood. And at times people will accuse and reject us anyway. But Lord, may it not be because something separates us from the love of Christ. But may it truly be because they see you and they are rejecting You. Lord, I pray You would help us to just be faithful in this as a brotherhood, as individuals, that we'd be mindful of this command until You come to receive us unto Yourself. And Lord, on that great day, You'll be looking for people like Your Son, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that we would represent Him. In Jesus' name, Amen.